Welcome to the Free Life Agents Podcast, where we help real estate agents build a lifestyle they never need a vacation from. Here's your host, Kobe Zen. Hey guys, welcome back to the Free Life Agents podcast. So today we have a guest um, who is actually a specialist in a uh, almost a different field of real estate and really going to offer us a, um, a different fresh perspective on real estate, not just for um, real estate agents, but also those of you out there who are investors um, as well, uh, looking to invest in real estate. So uh, my guest today is Paul Airy, and he is a specialist in commercial real estate and commercial real estate investing right here in my uh, home state of Texas. And uh, really grateful to be uh, connected uh, with you, Paul. And, you know, thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me on. Uh, very glad to be here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm super grateful that you were able to, you know, accept my offer of being a guest on the show and offer us kind of a, a perspective into a, a field of real estate where I don't have much much experience or knowledge in but um you know for for those of you who you know don't uh you know don't know who paul is um you know paul would you mind kind of introducing yourself and your background in, in real estate how you got into it and uh, what you're kind of working on now well i was in it a long time ago as a general contractor i built houses and um got into that for quite a while and, and went into more technology-based businesses and, and uh but about 11 years ago, I got back into real estate, became a broker, and uh, also did some some general contracting and developing, only instead of houses, it was commercial properties, industrial properties. And uh, so I've been doing commercial real estate now for about 11 years, and about the same time I started as, as an agent, I also started investing again, and uh, um, so... Uh, I work mostly with uh, investor clients. Uh, a lot of the work I did, uh, it, I worked out in uh, West Texas. That's where I got started as an agent and a broker. In West Texas, you have a lot of energy-related uh, companies, just like you do in Houston. And uh, so most of my clients were in that industry. If they weren't investors, they were oil companies, oil and gas service companies. And so we had a lot of companies buying their own properties, but mostly uh, mostly those properties are owned by investors, and I dealt a lot with those investors. Wow, awesome. So when you were, um, when you were uh, a general contractor in the beginning, uh, were you kind of in the residential space, or was that yeah. more... Yeah, in the beginning, it was just residential. I built spec houses. I never did uh, houses for people. I would just build the house and finish it and put it up for sale and sell it. And uh, that's that's how I did that. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that's actually how, how I got attracted to commercial real estate because in residential real estate, people are a lot more emotional about their purchases. And uh, even investors, they're, they're not nearly as emotional as a, home buyer, but, but they are a little bit, you know, there's something about buying a house. Everybody grows up in a house. It's your comfort zone. You know, that's, that's what, you know, so, uh, but in commercial real estate investors, 
they really don't have much emotion in at least the successful ones don't they get out their calculator if the numbers work they'll buy it if it doesn't work they won't buy it pretty simple yep and that's that's I think that's one of the things that we were we were talking about you know earlier when we first got connected is the you know kind of like the difference between you know working in residential and and commercial as well, and you know for for those that are kind of like you know they're not really familiar with you know the commercial side of things in, in terms of investing in real estate you know you you've been on both sides of the fence so when you first started out um, you know as an agent working did you just jump right into commercial real estate or were you kind of piggybacking off that? never. I've never listed a house, never sold a house. <laughs> Always been commercial. Um, yeah. Never, never even. There were a couple of times when I was tempted, you know, but but uh, I just I stuck to commercial and you know just stayed with that for all these years. Uh, yeah. uh, sometimes the commercial and residential markets are kind of opposite of each other, especially in in the market I was in, and it was it was always tempting to jump into doing houses when the commercial market went down but i didn't do it i stuck with it and you know, i'm glad i did because so many less headaches doing commercial properties most agents uh, feel like commercial it scares them for some reason they it's just because they haven't done it and and nobody's taught them how to do it uh, and, you know there are a few residential agents that that do commercial and they do just fine with it once they do one they realize that it's easy, easier to do than the residential deals. And, and th those are the agents you see that, that keep doing the, the commercial over and over. But yeah, once you get into it, you realize it's really easier than, than residential properties. Yeah, and it's so, it's interesting that you, you broke into commercial real estate essentially in the very beginning of, you know, kind of jumping back into the sales side of things. Um, and from just my net limited knowledge, I understand that a lot of, you know, new agents or brokers starting out in commercial, they, they like to work either as some sort of an intern or under an apprenticeship or, or a mentorship program. Um, did you kind of jump in with like a, a, you know, as a part of a team or did you come in on your own learning? I've never done a team. Um, I'm, personally, I don't like teams. <laughs> uh, well, I, maybe I should say a little more about that. The, some of the teams I've seen, um, some of them are great and they're good for people and especially new people. Some of them, though, kind of take advantage of the, the some of the team leaders kind of take advantage of the people on their team and they, they feed them all the crappy leads and they take most of their money, basically, <laughs> and don't give them much for it. And that's why I kind of have a, a bad taste for teams. I just, I know I've stayed away from them, never have, have done those. So when I got in, uh, I went into a brokerage that was 100% commercial, no residential. And there was a guy that was working in there. He was in his 70s. And he'd been doing commercial real estate for about 22, 23 years. And he did, uh, he did all the broker price opinions. And he was... It, covered up in broker price opinions, really busy in, you know, all the banks in town uh, would hire him. Anytime there was a commercial deal and it's they're financing less than $250,000, they'd get, instead of doing a $3,500 commercial appraisal, they'd hire him to do a $500 price opinion. And uh, so he was very busy with that. And 
I had the chance to share his office with him. They said, they asked me which office I wanted to be in. So, so I picked him, I picked his because he, you know, he'd been in it the longest and he knew all the lenders in town and, and, um, he really taught me a lot. So that's how I, I got into it. I mean, he didn't even ask for anything in return. He just helped me, just taught me, you know. Wow. So, I mean, and that's, I think that's a really good, um, really good segue into what I want to ask next is that there, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to this right now, or at least a few who, you know, they want to get into commercial real estate, whether they've been an agent for a long time or they're brand new and they want to just jump into commercial like you did, right? Whether, yeah. you know, whatever investing or, or real estate experience they had or, or not have essentially. And so from your perspective and, and your experience, how would you suggest somebody you know, who's newer or somebody who's never had, you know, experience in commercial kind of jumping into being commercial agent? Um, it really kind of depends on who you're working with, it, what brokerage you go to work for. Um, I would just suggest you just from day one, look for one that's going to let you do that. It's going to let you start in that if you're already an agent and you want to get into it you just need to start you just need to make relate build relationships with the people that are doing commercial properties and and learn from them basically i mean i get agents all the time that call me and i don't even work with them you know and they call me for help on commercial deals they're residential agents and they got into a deal and don't know what to do with it or or maybe it's uh might not be their first time, but maybe it's a different type of property that they've never dealt with. And, uh, you know, and they'll need help with things like how to list it, how to describe the property. I've seen industrial properties listed and I could tell it was a residential agent that was listing it because of how they described the inside, <laughs> just like the way they describe a house, you know, <laughs> they have this lovely office and, you know, three rooms and two bathrooms and, and, you know, in, in an industrial property, the, the important part of the property might be the shop that's out in back or the, the yard that they have, you know, and they don't don't even have pictures of those. All they have is pictures of the office and pictures of the front. And so things like that, little things like that, um, they need help with that. That's, you, you should always try to find somebody that's in that business already that can help you. And most of the time they're going to be willing to do it doesn't cost me anything to help somebody, you know, so I just do it when they ask. Yeah, that's, that's a, you know, that's a great mindset to have, you know, just, just to kind of side comment there. I think that's a, that's an awesome mindset that you have where, you know, you're, you're willing to give up, uh, you know, some of your time, right? I guess that would be the cost is some of your time to help out. A, yeah, some of my time, but it's, it's a phone call, you know, it's not, right. <laughs> it's not like I'm spending a week with them or anything. You know? Right, right. Yeah. So, so I mean, and, and this is, is, is interesting topic. I think when we're talking about, you know, we just mentioned something um, interesting there was, you know, real estate agents who are essentially, you can understand that they're listing as a, as a residential agent, right. Just from their listing descriptions. Right. So yeah. for, for people who don't know the difference or they know that there is a difference, but they don't know what it is or what are yeah. some of the key, key differences between, you know, commercial and residential real estate and how to work it as an agent. Um, would you like mind explaining like some of the key differences between the two, you know, while you're working as a, as an agent representing somebody and then later, like kind of talk about like what it's the difference on the, uh, on, from an investor's perspective as well. Well, you know, when you're listing a residential property, 
your it's it's all about the cosmetics and it's about the you know you're selling somebody a home that they're going to live in and in commercial you're selling somebody a building they're going to work in or they're going to own it as an investor so they a lot of times the way a property looks for a residential buyer is more important than it is for a commercial buyer um, the commercial buyer probably is going to have in his mind, mind that he's going to have to spend a certain amount of money on this property to make it what he wants it to be. He's more interested in the location, uh, the traffic flow, um, and uh, uh, it's, it, I mean, it's all about, it's either business or it's not business. Those are the two differences. You know, with a, with a residential property, it's all about business and, and it's the, more the financial aspect of it. Uh, what's my return going to be on the property? Um, in residential or in commercial properties, you know, you're going to get more um, tax benefits than you will from residential. Uh, and uh, your, your uh, overall return on the property is you can, you have more control over the equity in a, in a commercial property. So all those things, uh, if, uh, if you're just buying a house, basically all you're worried about is, am I gonna like living in it? Is it gonna be a money pit or not? Uh, and how much value is it gonna gain? But you're not generating cash flow off of that unless you're buying it to rent to somebody. Uh, and that's that's the big deal. I mean, in commercial properties, cash flow is the the number one thing if you're an investor. And uh, cash flow is very important. If you don't have any cash flow in a property, you know you, you're not going to buy it. But not true with residential. Okay. Yeah. Um, and and if you're an investor buying the property, um. Uh, you have the cash flow, but you also have, you have some other things. You have uh, the depreciation on the property. You have how much is it gonna appreciate? Uh, it, are you gonna be able to raise the rent and lower the expenses? And in commercial properties, the uh, value of the property is based on the amount of income it generates. In a residential, it's not. It's based on the surrounding property values, the, the comparables in the neighborhood. And, and uh, in commercial property, you can control your equity by increasing your income on the property. So you can increase the value of your property artificially just by increasing the income or decreasing the expenses. So it's that's what makes it a lot more fun to buy a commercial property. To buy. Even if you're buying a residential property as an investment to rent to somebody, you have no control over the equity. That equity is still gonna be based on your neighbor's property values. It doesn't matter if you double or triple the rent still going to be the same but in a in a commercial property if you double or triple the rent you're going to greatly increase your property value and your equity which the banks will recognize that they'll actually loan you back that equity that you gained so it, it's it is worth something to be able to do that oh yeah i i think so as well and mm -hmm. that's that's super interesting you mentioned that because I'm, I'm curious, like, so when you're talking about somebody who owns a commercial investment and they're able to just raise the rents, I'm, I mean, I'm sure they're not just 
you know, they can't just randomly raise their rent by like, no, right. Like they, there has to be some kind of baseline there. Right. Like, so how does somebody determine that? Well, I mean, you know, it, it depends on your lease. So let's say when you first write a lease, you're going to want to write in a rent increase at some point. You can't just increase it during the middle of the lease uh, unless it's written into the lease. Sometimes you'll write in a, a rent increase every year, maybe an annual rent increase of, you know, 2% or 3%. Sometimes you'll do it every five years, like when the lease is up in five years and you give them a renewal option. And then the renewal option, of course, is going to increase and it, it'll be a bigger increase, like 10% or 15%. Um, so those are the times you can increase the rent. Also, if you buy a property and there are a lot of property management companies out there that are not really very good at what they do. And I've seen a lot of properties, uh, large multi-tenant properties that are managed by companies that weren't keeping up with the leases. Sometimes they'll uh, let the tenants, uh, let their leases run out and their tenants are just paying month to month and they haven't raised the rent. And if you get one of those properties and the tenants paying half the market value for, for their lease and their lease is up, then, then you can raise, that's a good time. You could raise the rent right away because if they don't have a lease, if they're just renting month to month, you can, you can raise that rent immediately. And usually those tenants know, you know, that their lease is up and they're skating by on cheap rent. And they realize when this thing sells, somebody's going to buy it and they're going to raise the rent. And so they know it's coming. They're not, you know, they're not stupid and they're not going to get too upset about it. They may not like it, but, you know, they've, they've been getting by for a while. And, and, uh, so th those are the kinds of, those, those are the usual ways, usual times that you can raise the rent. That's, that's interesting. So how does, I guess, if somebody was an investor, let's just say if I was an investor and I wanted to look for a property, an opportunity, essentially, that you just mentioned, right? Somebody who's kind of yeah. skating by, you know, yeah. what is something that I can do to actively look for those types of opportunities? Sometimes there are signs when you see the property. I'll give an example. There was a, a retail center that, that we had sold and uh, our company represented the buyer, actually, and it had been mismanaged. And you can tell when you see the property, it's a, it was an older property. It had deferred maintenance. They hadn't been keeping up with the maintenance. There were things falling apart on the building. You could see it, I mean, you know, the parking lot had potholes and the, you know, the building, parts of the building needed paint and, you know, some cracked windows. And when you go inside, you look around and you notice the, the ceiling tiles may have stains on them, which might indicate a roof leak or an air conditioner problem. And so little things like that, you kind of know. And, and then you just check, you know, when you're negotiating with the seller, you ask to see the leases. They're going to have to show you the lease at some point. And when you see that the lease is, is past its renewal date, then you know for sure. But uh, you know, if you see a building like that, that's a pretty good sign. There's probably a pretty good chance that some people are in there not, not under a lease anymore, that they're going month to month. That usually means there's a landlord somewhere 
he might live out of state or he, you know, he might be getting too old to keep up with the property. Uh, the management company is just charging him money and not doing anything because they know he's not ever going to come by and look. And, you know, and unfortunately, unfortunately, there are management companies like that. They'll do that. Um, so the first thing you do when you get one of those properties is you fire the management company, you know, get somebody else or do it yourself. But, yeah, uh, yeah I've never always tell tell signs. And one of the best things to do is just find a broker that knows the town and knows the, you know, knows the market, knows the, the commercial market, knows the business. Uh, somebody that specializes in commercial properties. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, they have access to that. They'll, they'll know, basically. They kind of know who owns what and you know, who's managing what. Right. And I think it's, you know, people shouldn't be, right, if, I always say, like, work with a broker, work with an agent, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. That's one of the things I teach people. I've, I've created a course in real estate investing and one of the things in there is building relationships and especially with brokers, you, you need to build relationships with agents and brokers. And, uh, uh, that's, you know, that's how you're going to find a lot of your properties. And there are other ways. It's not the only way, but that that's one really good way to find properties. Yeah. And, and to know what's going on with the property behind the scenes. Right. And I'm sure people who list, who just listen to this are, are asking themselves this question right now. And this is something I kind of, as I, I'm curious about as well is, you know, we understand on the residential side of, the, of you know, real estate, mm -hmm. if you're an investor, you want to work with an agent, usually there's no commissions for the buyer side, unless if you were, you know, buying something off market and it's usually, I mean, this market, who knows, right? But usually it's 6%, you know, on the listing side. Um, for a commercial real estate transaction, how does the commission structure kind of play out? Is it Similar or a lot different? It's almost exactly the same as residential. It really is. It, it works the same. Um, one exception is leases. We get paid full commissions on a lease. We don't get paid. We get, if I write a lease, if I lease a, a space for somebody, we're going to get, our commission is going to be 6% of the, of the lease amount, the gross lease amount. So that would be, say somebody leases a property for five years, whatever total amount of rent they pay over the five years, your commission is based on that. So if you have somebody that's paying a hundred thousand a year in rent, $500,000 over five years, you're going to get 6% of 500,000. And you don't have to wait for a closing. So it's kind of nice. It's they sign the lease, they write the check, and you get paid. There's no, there's no thirty day or sixty day closing or ninety day closing or whatever. You know, it's right away. As soon as they get it, as soon as they sign that check and sign the lease, you get paid. So, so you're you're getting paid up front for before even the the you know the five years, right? So you're getting paid up yeah, front. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You get paid up front, right? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's. That's yep. much better than. <laughs> yep. no, now there may there may be some concessions in there, like if the tenant defaults on their lease halfway through or something, you know, you may have to go back and find them another tenant, and uh, so whatever, you're still going to get paid again, but you're going to deduct what they already paid you for the first half of the lease. So, uh, yeah. So, or well. You may end up getting, if you sign a new lease that's longer, 
I guess is what I'm saying. So uh, if you go halfway through a five-year lease and, and the tenant defaults, and you come back in with a new tenant with a five-year lease, so you got two and a half years there that you're going to get paid on. Okay, well, that that makes sense. So, for in my like, from what I just just kind of heard, being a commercial, you know, commercial agent or a commercial broker is a lot more of a uh, almost like a long term, you know, consultancy or a long term, somewhat of a yeah. management. Yeah, uh, I mean, some, for example, some contracts. Most commercial contracts for a purchase, um, they get stretched out over a lot longer than you'll see in residential. Uh, you'll almost never see a 30-day closing commercial. Usually it's going to be 45 or 60 days or 90 days, even longer if the property is bigger. We have uh, commercial contracts have a feasibility period, which is the same as due diligence period. And that's where the buyer can go through his due diligence, do the get the uh, commercial appraisal done, get the environmental study done if, if it's required, and it usually is. Um, so that's another thing you have to deal with with commercial that you don't with residential, but it's not a big deal. Um, and, you know, all the things you have to deal with with the city, with zoning ordinances, and making sure that you can do what you want to do with that property, that kind of thing. So it, it stretches the contract out a lot longer, but, uh, you know, it... And it is harder to get started, but once you get that ball rolling, though, you know you have this contract starts and it's ninety days, and you have another one, another one start and it's ninety days. So you eventually get to where you have like every every couple of weeks or every four weeks or so, you have a contract coming up to close. So you're not always waiting necessarily, unless you just don't sell a lot of properties, which yeah, yeah. and. You, you mentioned something in there something that in there. I, I kind of want to touch on. And that is, um, you know, you, you mentioned that for the, you know, like for the due diligence period, essentially for the commercial, the feasibility uh, period, um, they're doing a lot of, I'm guessing they're doing a lot of different things than what a residential buyer uh, would be doing, right? So yeah. they're, the terms are a lot different. And I think that's one, yeah. of the, one of the things that makes being commercial, being commercial agent easier. Is, is that what you would say as well? Well, uh, I don't know that that's what makes it easier. What makes it easier is the lack of government regulation. We Unless you're dealing with apartments, apartments are commercial properties too, if it's five units and above. If you're dealing with apartments, you still have the same regulations you do with houses, the Fair Housing Act, those type of things. But in commercial properties, you don't have that. You don't have a lot of the disclosures that you have in residential. Um, and the paperwork, believe it or not, is usually for the agent is easier in a commercial contract, uh, in my opinion. And uh, I, I remember when I sold my house in, in West Texas and we moved to Austin uh, about a year ago, uh, I just because I don't sell houses. I had a friend of mine list it and just let him sell it. And he kept handing me one document after another, you know, oh, you got to sign this one. You got to sign this one. You got to sign this one. Gosh, how many do you have? And, and uh, you know, with a, a commercial contract, it's so much simpler. A lot of that's on the buyer and 
Uh, I mean, you still have to make disclosures if you're if you have uh, issues with the property. If there's a problem with the property, you're still required to disclose that. But uh, the paperwork you have to go through don't have to have the lead-based paint disclosure thing. You know, you don't have to have the that you know that notice that you give to somebody because nobody's going to live in the in the property, right? So, so that's that's not necessary. Now, if you're going to do renovations, you know, you have to. You have to get, you have to test for that, and you have to test for asbestos and some things like that. But that's between you and the city, and that's got nothing to do with. It's between the buyer and the city, and it's not really the agents. You know, in residential, because uh, there's a lot of, I mean, it varies by state, but in the residential mm -hmm. space, there's a lot of boilerplate, you know, contracts that agents can just mm -hmm. fill out, right? And buyers can right. just fill out to accept the offer. In commercial, does that exist in any oh, yeah. form, or it does? Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a, basically they're the same, well, not the same, but the same idea as residential contracts. You know, the ones that you sign for houses, we have instead of the one to four family house contract, we have a commercial property contract and, and a co commercial property purchase contract. We have the, uh, Basically, all of the contracts have the word commercial in them. So there's the commercial uh, exclusive right to listing and uh, commercial lease contract. And, you know, all, but they're basically, uh, they're all done for you. We have uh, Trek contracts that we use and, and you know, the pro Trek promulgated documents. And then we have the ones that are available from the Texas Association of Realtors. Yeah, and and basically we get them out of the same pool that the residential contracts come from. If you scroll down the list, you'll come to the commercial, all the commercial stuff. Then you know, and the best thing to do is just go scroll through those and look at them, read them. Yeah, you know that's the that's the best place to get started. And and if you're an agent wanting to do commercial, just go start reading the contracts. Yeah, pretty they're pretty simple. So. And um, kind of moving towards more in investing direction, right? Good. Something. Yeah. This is, this is my topic. <laughs> right. Yeah. And and I wanted to say is that you also have a podcast called, you know, the, the Real Estate Revenue, uh, Real Estate Revenue Podcast, right? Yes. And one right. of the things yeah. that uh, I heard you say in one of your episodes that was really interesting, I want to kind of bring up and quote here is that, you know, you never invest in anything that people live in. And one of the personally, things. yeah. I personally don't do that. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, I mean, you, yeah, yeah could you elaborate uh, on that? And uh, well, I know you well, have a lot of it, it's because of regulation, for one thing. And uh it's a little more of a headache uh mm -hmm. to deal with with tenants who live in a property. Uh, but the biggest thing is residential properties that you rent out that you invest in uh, do not have triple net leases a triple net lease is where the tenant pays the property taxes the property insurance and for all the maintenance costs on the property so when you have like a retail property or an industrial property even some office buildings you can do a triple net lease and they're paying all your expenses so the landlord has very little responsibility for expenses. 
and that makes it, it easy to manage and it makes it easy when you go to sell that property investors are looking for that and that makes it uh, much easier to sell the property so i so, i didn't know that that was you know that's a that's a huge huge difference yeah and it is and one of the things that you help or you talk about a lot is you know retirements and there's a you know you mentioned there's a yeah. retirement crisis essentially and how you're, you're helping, you know, could you explain a little bit more on how you're helping people with their retirements through commercial real estate versus what a lot of people might think when it comes to real estate and retirement is, you know, invest in houses, right? Yeah. I'm glad you asked that because you've just opened up a huge topic. So right now in the United States, well, we have, I don't even know how many baby boomers we have, but there are 10,000 baby boomers retiring every day and there's a $14 trillion retirement deficit. That's a, that's huge, $14 trillion with a T. Uh, and just with pensions, uh, company companies that provide pensions and like state government and city government entities that provide pensions, they have a $1 trillion shortfall. And... I don't know that that's a problem we can actually completely fix ever. I think what's going to happen is we're going to have a bunch of bankrupt retirees at some point. But I can help as many people as I can with, you know, with that problem just by buying real estate. So real, the cash flow from real estate can replace your retirement plan. And if you have a 401k or pension plan, can't, the chances are it's not going to be enough to retire on. So if you think about this, if you're an incredible saver and you've saved up a million dollars by the time you retire, and I don't know anybody who's done that. I hardly know. I don't, I bet you probably don't know anybody either. You might, but I, um, so uh, financial planners will tell you to, and this, this topic gets a little boring, but financial planners will tell you that you should withdraw three and a half percent of that savings every year to live on once you retire. So what does that do? It, first of all, it's only, only going to give you $35,000 a year to live on. And if Not you haven't lot. paid taxes, no. And if you haven't paid taxes on that, like a 401k, you're going to have to pay taxes. So you're going to end up with about, so out of about $2,900 a month, you're going to end up with about $2,400, $2,500 maybe a month to live on. And you've got to hope that you die in 25 years because that's when your money runs out. <laughs> so, you know, when you whenever you retire with a million dollars, you better plan on dying in 25 years or finding some other way to make some money. But now, if you take that, same $1 million and you buy an investment property and it pays you an 8% return, which is pretty normal. Um, it's what I teach people to do. It's what I advise people to do. 8% is pretty easy to attain. I can even go up to 8 uh, to 10 or 12% in some cases. An 8% return is $80,000 a year. So you've more than doubled your income just by putting that money into an investment property and collecting rent. Not only that, 
it's going to save you taxes, huge amount of taxes. Because if you can show that you spend more than half a year, or sorry, I believe it's 750 hours a year on real estate, you are uh, designated as a real estate professional and your income from real estate is taxed at a much lower rate. And you can even have that take out some of, if you're still working somewhere, you can even have that take out some of that tax too. So you can even save money on that tax. Uh, but so you're, and you're also gonna build equity in the property. If you're just taking money out of your savings account, that asset is depleting, it's not increasing. So you're gonna run out of money, but you're not gonna run out of money with a, with a uh, million dollar property. So if you, uh, if you bought a million dollar property and every five years you raise the, raise the rent 10%, in 15 years, your income is gonna be over 100,000. You're probably gonna be around 105, 110,000 a year. And the value of your property has just gone up quite a bit too. It's, it's probably gone up. I don't have a calculator in front of me, but possibly probably gone up to maybe start off at a million dollars, maybe 1.3 million, somewhere in there, 1.5 possibly. So that's why I preach to people, stop investing in 401ks and put it in real estate. Personally, if I had a 401k and, uh, I didn't have a lot in it. If I had 150 or $200,000, which is what a lot of people, you know, the average of a 60, I think the average 401k for 64, 65 year olds, about $150,000, which they're not going to get to that million dollars. I would just take that out and pay the penalty. I mean, that's what I would do. I'm not advising people to do that, but I would just take it out, pay the penalty, go buy some real estate with it. Yeah. Um, if you're 40 years old and you've got, that much in a 401k that's what i would do because by the time you get to be whatever age you want to retire at you'll be a lot better off if you bought real estate and i mean this this kind of issue that yeah you're running into i mean do people just not do they just not know or are they just not doing the math that you know you're doing or right they're just they're not doing the math and and i don't know this is such a big problem. I mean, $14 trillion retirement deficit, that is such a big problem and nobody is talking about it. It, it. It's so bad and there's so few people talking about it that I occasionally have to go back and check my numbers again, just to make sure I haven't made mistakes somewhere. <laughs> and I'm you know, talking about something I don't know anything about, but it, every time I check it, it's true, it's correct. And uh, I have a book. Uh, probably good if I show it, I'll probably show it backwards on the screen. It's Who Stole My Pension by Robert Kiyosaki and Edward Seidel. And Shut up, right? Yeah. Who Stole My Pension? Oh, okay. Um, Edward Seidel is a former SEC attorney and he investigated crooked pensions. He still does. He doesn't work for the government anymore, but he uh, investigates crooked pensions or mismanaged pensions, I guess is a better way to say it. And uh, uh, he uncovers a lot of theft and mismanagement and uh, the, just pensions. I mean, a trillion dollar pension deficit. That's a lot. That's a huge amount. If you work for the state of California or uh, they're one of the worst ones, 
and you know certain cities around the country, county governments, city governments, you really need to check what your pension's investing in because there's a good chance that it's not going to be here in five years. You know, your, your pension plan could go broke in five years. Okay. And K's aren't much better. I mean, they're you know you are dependent on whoever's managing your 401k fund. You're depending on whether or not they know what they're doing, <laughs> or that or uh, they're investing in the right products, or that the companies they invest in don't go broke for some reason. Right. And that's kind of what I wanted to touch on is, yeah. it, I mean, maybe you don't have like knowledge of this, but if you do, you know, would you mind sharing it is you mentioned that there's a lot of people's pensions that are investing in certain things that they don't even know, you know, what, what the pension is investing in and it cannot be here. Exactly. So, I mean, do you, do you know what some of those, you know, what's like some common things that, you know, pensions are being well, invested in? They invest in stocks in mutual funds mostly hmm. and um, uh, what happened in 2008 in that real estate crash and a lot of you know a lot of companies went broke a lot of people lost their jobs and their pensions or their 401ks a lot of people lost half of their 401k back then and some people lost all of it but that would be pretty devastating and you know financial planners are not going to tell you about real estate they will not, and, and it's not because they're they're not mean. They're not doing it to be. Uh, they don't tell you because they're not allowed to. Because uh, the people they work for, if they have to sell a product that that company gets commission or a fee on, and they don't get anything off of real estate, if, so they're not going to suggest it to you. But I have some investor clients who are financial planners, and they all invest in real estate. They all buy commercial real estate. And when I asked him about that, I asked him a few months ago, I, I called one of them up and I said, why how, Why don't you ever tell your clients about real estate? And he said, well, I'm not allowed to, I can't. <laughs> so, you know, when when I talk to people and I say, tell them, you know, that they need to invest in real estate instead of a 401k. And they say, well, you're, my financial planners would tell me that if I needed to do that. So, you know, and now I can say, well, no, they don't. They won't tell you that because they aren't allowed to. Uh, I mean, that's a pretty so, powerful, pretty powerful statement there where the financial planners yeah. themselves are investing in real yeah. estate. Yeah. And, and people don't know that. They don't realize these financial planners buy real estate in a big way. It's not just, you know, I mean, these guys, I have uh, two clients who are financial planners and they have multi-millions of dollars for the real estate commercial properties. So it's not uh, it's not just a sideline investment for them. I mean, it's a big deal for them. Oh yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. And for, for those, you know, people who are, I guess, because I'm not too familiar with this, this topic, but I, I do know that maybe you can kind of shed some light on this as well with, you know, some, what, what you know, but people who invest in 401ks, um, a lot of them, they have company matched 401ks. Yeah. So, so, I mean, for them, that might be a little bit more lucrative or they just feel like it's safe, it's safer or more stable that they get a match from the company. I mean, I mean, do you have any, any comments or how would you respond to that? Potential yeah, client? It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, 
so think about this in in 1997 i think it was they they told financial planners uh, and these are some of the big ones the big financial planners uh, were telling their clients they needed $150,000 per couple to retire to live on um today it's 1 million to 1.7 million for a couple to live on. And I just, uh, you know, like I said earlier, I just, I don't know anybody who's been able to save that kind of money. I mean, I know people that make half a million dollars a year and they're nowhere close to saving that kind of money. Uh, you know, it's unfortunate. I mean, that's got more to do with what they do with their money than, than it is with, uh, you know, Right. They're, they're, but uh, they just don't save anything or they don't invest anything. They own a lot of stuff, but they don't, you know, they don't have any investments. Um, and, you know, half of the baby boomers, 50% of baby boomers say they plan on retiring, just living off their Social Security. Well, Social Security checks, the average Social Security checks about 1300 or 1400 a month. And I, so far, I've known two people that have uh, have done that, retired and decided to live off their Social Security. And, you know, one of them went back to work in less than a year. And the other one's, you know, he's too old to go back to work, but he's not living too well either. So, you know. Uh, yeah. It just yeah, doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't. And I think I've, I've, I've done the math in terms of a, uh, from the agent's perspective, right? Because one of the mm -hmm. things that we do with, you know, with blog that I write is that we kind of teach agents how to financially plan and because real estate yeah. agents, they're even in a worse position where they're just making commissions, right? They don't, they don't have, you know, they don't even have the the bad 401k plan, right? Sometimes they're just, it's just up to them. So we've done the numbers on that and it, it you know, from kind of piggybacking off of what you said and the stats that you used as well as, you know, somebody making around a hundred thousand dollars a year um, needs to be living off of, you know, close to, I think, $4,000 a month, which is, you know, not a lot. And then that way they're able to save like that, that goal of a million dollars in their retirement. And it takes them about mm -hmm. 40 years to do so. And they're living yeah. off of even less money. So. But by the time they get that much saved, it's not going to go as far. Right. It's going to be worth less. Yeah. 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 So. Uh, to me, the the key thing is cash flow. You want the cash flow. And the thing is, when you buy a property, if you buy it now, don't wait till you retire to buy it. Buy it now because the cash flow starts now. It doesn't you don't have to wait thirty years for it. So buy it, buy it as soon as you can buy it, and take that cash flow. If you want to save that cash flow, great. Put that somewhere in some kind of savings. And, uh, you know, do what you can do to increase the equity in your property and keep adding properties. One of my clients started investing in his 40s, I believe. And he's in his 70s now. He's got somewhere between 40 and 50 properties. And these aren't small properties. These are big properties. I don't think he's got, he's probably got, I bet 50% of those properties are worth more than maybe more than a million dollars. I know some of them worth multiple millions. Um, and uh, 
he just keeps buying properties all the time. And that's all he does is invest. He does not have a job. He doesn't have a, another business. He's, he, he's also a builder. I mean, he, he builds some of his properties. Oh, wow. But, uh, you know, if somebody wants to lease a property and he can't find it, he'll build it for them. So, <laughs> wow. Yeah, that must lease be. It to him. Yeah. yeah, that's a good background I have when it comes yeah. to, to the commercial side, right? And, and kind of on that note, um, for people that want to get into investing in commercial real estate, because uh, I know it's the, you know, on the residential side, this is these topics have been like, you know, it's almost beaten to death over people. Yeah. Like, you can invest without money. You can do this loan, hard money, private money, whatever. Yeah. For commercial, do you actually need money to invest in commercial real estate or can somebody start like immediately or yes do they need and, to save up? Yes and no. Um, it's going to take some money. You can, there are properties out there that you can buy with no money down. Um, I always warn people against financing 100% of their property because if you get into negative cash flow, you're going to get in trouble. And you really don't want 100% of your property financed, but there are some cases where you can do it if you do it the right way. Uh, I did buy a property one time where um, I bought the property with no cash. And uh, what I did was I had the seller finance the down payment but they only financed it for me for six months. In six months, I paid her off. And so I, I had cash in then. Just didn't have the cash at the time when I bought it. And I didn't want to miss the property. So we worked that deal out to where I got it that way. And you can do things like that. And there, you know, there are some other things you can do. It, basically, all the different techniques of buying a property that you can use on a house, you can use on a commercial property. Uh, your your lenders, the, the conventional lenders, are not going to be as open to that. Although if I come to a, a bank and I say, hey, I've got this property I'm buying and they're willing to finance 70% of it. And I say, well, I've got the other 30% taken care of. They don't necessarily care all the time if you paid cash out of your pocket or if you seller finance that with the seller. And I actually had one tell me that on that deal. He said, well, I don't really care where you got that other 30%. As long as we have the 70% financed through us and it's the first lien then I don't care where you got the other 30%. So, so yeah, you can do that. But if you, depending on what kind of property you buy, when you buy a property, you're going to have to pay for an appraisal and commercial appraisals aren't cheap. Uh, what's a residential appraisal these days? About $1,200, something like that. Yeah. Commercial appraisal is going to run you $3,500. And uh, for a lot of reasons, one is that in the market I was in where there were 350,000 people in West Texas, there were only three commercial appraisers out there. So, and, a lot, and they were very busy and they were having to call people from out of town to do appraisals. So that's one reason. Also, uh, environmental studies, if you're buying anything that has any amount of land or if you're buying an industrial property you absolutely want to have an environmental study done that's another 3500 so you know there's some money involved you have to have some cash yeah and sometimes you get lucky 
sometimes the seller had already done an environmental study and it's not going to cost you much to you know to you can get a copy of their environmental study and and uh, just do your study back to when to when they have the company come out and do an update on it and you can get out a lot cheaper but and then surveys commercial surveys they're a lot more expensive so you know so yeah you're gonna have some money somewhere along the line you're gonna have to have some money that's why on my logo it says no hype, no BS. And that, mm -hmm. That's what I'm talking about. I don't, I don't uh, push the idea that you can get into real estate with no money, no credit. You're gonna have to have some money and some credit. You know. Yeah, that that makes that makes sense. And for in a, I guess because it's commercial real estate, like you said, it's based more of a, it's definitely like an asset based loan, right? For for commercial real estate. So sometimes, would you say it's yeah. actually easier it, to get in yeah it is easier for me to get financed on a commercial property it's more based on how much income the property is going to generate yeah. so they're not looking necessarily what you make they're looking more at oh they they do look at that but they're looking more at what's the property going to generate and uh so that makes it easier to get the financing done if you have a property that the banks like if it's a like banks like storage facilities and they like usually multifamily unless it's you know the market's oversaturated or something but um yeah if you have something like that they like those kind of prop they like those kind of properties and um you know it'll be easier to get the loan with that i mean is there and kind of for, for people listening that want to get into the commercial space, right? So is there kind of like an ideal range of income or savings that somebody should have to start kind of considering this or? Not necessarily, but you know what one of the best properties to get into if you're just starting? Right. Is if you can find a single tenant office building, uh, especially one that used to be a house that's been turned into an office. Those are pretty cool because they're usually cheaper and you can start off small and that's what you want to do. You want to start off small. Um, you can usually get something like that for 200,000 or less about the cost of a house. And with a single tenant office, you can do a, the triple net lease that I talked about, you know, with the tenant paying the, all the expenses and you'll end up, you can probably, you can clear Oh, I don't know, eight or nine hundred dollars a month on something like that, yeah. and that's pretty good for that's a lot more than you'll clear on a house on a residential rental, and um, uh, and you're getting your foot in the door as a commercial investor, and um, those properties they're pretty easy to get a long term tenant uh, if you get good tenants for those are like insurance agents, uh, hair salons. Uh, dentist offices those are the people they don't they don't like to move once they get into a place they don't like to move especially the dentist and the hair salon owners um they have to put in specialized equipment plumbing and stuff and once they get it in there they it's expensive to move so they don't really want to move they don't have to so they'll they'll be long-term tenants and you know the insurance agents they just they like being in the same place people get to know where they are and you know, they, they build their business based on their location. 
they stay for a long time. They're stable people, in other words. And uh, so those are good tenants for that kind of property. Yeah, and that's, that's how I got started. I, I bought one of those. It was a house that was turned into a doctor's office. And uh, so I bought bought that pretty cheap and, uh, you know, leased it out. Had the same tenant in there for five years. Yeah, which brings up the point of commercial leases. They're longer leases. If you if you are a house, a residential investor, and you're tired of people doing a one-year lease and moving out, or having to get a new tenant every year, go to a commercial property because the leases are much longer. They're at least going to be you know, three to five years. Um, and sometimes even longer, depending on the property. And would you say that's like the best type of commercial real estate assets to get into, or is that just I, I the best? I think for thing? a beginner, I think for a beginner it is. Now you don't have to start there. If you have a lot of cash, you know, I mean, I know beginning investors that have three or $400,000 in cash, but if you've only got, you know, 20 or $30,000 in cash, then that's a great place to start. And you don't necessarily have to start by yourself. If you have a, somebody you can partner with, you know, to get started, just to get started, you, you get that relationship built with lenders and, and real estate agents and get a track record going, you know, that they start bringing you deals and you don't have to look quite as hard as, as, yeah. uh, as you, you know, when you first started out. Um, but, uh, I mean, there, yeah, there's some people out there with a lot of cash and they don't know what to do with it. And it's, fine to start with a bigger property yeah and um and it's just like in your opinion overall right so like not kind of not considering the how much capital you have aspect of it but just overall what's like the best type of commercial real estate right you know either you know multifamily, hotel storage units or um overall i i really like the idea of storage units yeah. Uh, and and it's very it depends it's very market the market dependent uh, around where I am right now in the Austin area in Williamson County there are about 170 HOAs here and these HOAs don't like RVs and boats in your yard so they don't allow them and so all the RV and boat storage places are full with a waiting list so if somebody had a a new boat and RV storage here, they would do really well. And they're cheap to build. And usually you want them outside the city, so the land's cheaper. So it's a good thing to get into. It's easier to get into. And SBA will give you really good loan terms. You can get a really good SBA loan on storage facilities. Usually you can get like 90% finance. Uh, because it's a business it's not it's not just real estate it's a business yep i think that's the that's the big piece of it is commercial real estate yep. it's treated like a business so yeah yeah oh it is every i have a course by the way i don't know if i mentioned that um so we're we're about we're right on the verge of launching our membership site mm -hmm. uh called real estate revenue and uh in that membership site is a course an eight-week course for beginners on how to invest in commercial real estate. And it's also, uh, the membership includes 
live coaching and mentoring calls with me and where you can ask questions and uh, ask questions about your deals and, you know, get advice, whatever. Uh, but uh, one of the things in that that I teach is real estate is a business. Your, your property, every property is like a business and you have to treat it like a business. You, you don't just buy a property and let it sit there and, and let it run itself. I mean, it, it kind of does, but there are things you have to do as a business owner. And it, it's no different with real estate. You have to, you have to treat it like it's a business. Exactly. And uh, we'll make sure to plug that in the, uh, in the okay. show notes so that people can find them. And, uh, okay. you know, anybody interested will be able to actually reach out to you as well and find that yeah. course yeah. and sign up for it. Um, yeah. And looking forward, because I know we had an interesting conversation about this last time, uh, especially regarding cryptocurrency and NFTs mm-hmm. and commercial real estate. So yeah. really interesting conversation. Could you just touch a little bit more on, you know, the future of investing in commercial real estate and how crypto yeah. and NFT plays a role in that as well? It's going to change real estate investing yeah. completely. Uh, so right now you can buy, you can do passive investing in properties with uh, people that are doing syndications. And that's done a lot on apartments, large apartment complexes where they will get their initial investment money from investors who buy shares. Basically they're buying a chunk and they may buy, uh, they may get four or five people put in a hundred thousand each. And, you know, maybe, maybe they have a $10,000 minimum or something. Uh, And that's where they get their, their cash. And then they buy the rest of the property with their financing and then, you know, work out, how they pay these people back. Uh, right now, tokenization of real estate is happening already. It's not happening, uh, not happening as fast as I like to see it, but it is happening and it's going to happen more and more as time goes on. Uh, we're going to see um, properties that will tokenize a percentage of the property and investors will be able to buy uh, small portions of that property, probably for as little as a thousand dollars, so that that everyday person can invest in real estate and not have to do it all at once. You could do uh, with several properties. Uh, there there needs to be a marketplace for it, but. Uh, I think what will happen is right now artwork is being sold as NFTs, even physical paintings. They will create NFTs, tokenize this painting, and you can buy a share of it. So they're going to be doing that with real estate. And, uh, you know, it's been done a couple of times. There was a company, I can't remember the name of that company. They they started that, but they didn't get very far with it. Um, I don't think the technology was quite ready yet for them, but uh, it's getting there. Uh, I think it's it's ready now. It's ready for that to get started up again. So, uh, yeah. yeah, that's that. So it'll be nice. I mean, if you want to buy some real estate and you only have $5,000, you know, you can still go buy it. And as far as the, the in it, you know, if they do it as an NFT, uh, I think we talked about before how you can write in your NFT that once you sell it, if it gets resold, you, you get a royalty from it. 
so that you can keep getting paid. So if you're the property owner and you're selling off courses of your property through, through these NFTs, you can get royalties on it every time it gets resold. Yep. And, uh, you know, people would be free to sell their, their shares to anybody that they wanted to. They wouldn't have to hold it for a certain amount of time. There wouldn't be any restrictions on, say, holding it for, for the next two years or whatever. They'd be free to do it right now. So. That's really interesting. That yeah. part of it is really, is really interesting that you can write in a royalty for that. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to us because we're real estate agents, you know, <laughs> we get, we're used to getting commissions, but we only get the commission one time. Uh, so, uh, um, that would be really nice if, uh, that can be written in like that. Yeah. Yeah. Create that residual income over and over yeah. again as, as it keeps on getting sold. So we just have some barriers to get through, like convincing somebody who owns a property that, Hey, you need to sell off half your property, you know, in, in tiny chunks and, right. and, uh, you know, let me, let me take care of that for you or, or do it, you know, buy your own property and do that. You have to convince your lender that, Hey, we're going to raise the money by doing it this way instead of mm -hmm. the normal, the normal way. So, but yeah, that's coming. Yeah. And that's interesting. You mentioned that last part is because I wanted to ask is there's a lot of people who might, you know, it's, it's a great thing that, you know, the tokenization of real estate now can essentially get more people into the game with, you know, with less yeah. capital, but mm -hmm. what people like a big objection is like, well, how secure is that? Or, you know, that you're, you're, you're essentially tokenizing the real estate. Like, am I actually investing in the, in the land here or what if tomorrow, you know, we just, the grid gets destroyed by Russia or whatever. And yeah. you know, what happens then? Right. So how would you handle that kind of objection? You, you know what? I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a, it's done through a smart contract. You know, that you own the property, you own that much of the property. Um, so I kind of feel like, uh, if that happens, uh, if something bad like that happened, it would have to pretty much take out everything and not, you know, I mean, that, I mean, how does blockchain technology work? I mean, you can't just, you know, I guess you, if you took down you know, the internet's designed so that it can't be completely taken down. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't know that that would be an issue. I don't know that that would be a problem. I think that that software is stored somewhere and it's going to stay there forever, most likely. But you know what? Uh, what if the courthouse blows up tomorrow and all the deeds are burned up and, you know, you have no way to prove that you own yeah. the property. So you know, there's always a, there's always something like that to worry about. Right. That's a good so, end. Yeah. That's a good point. It's a good analogy, right? And, you know, yeah. it's, there's, you know, it's, things are just gonna, you know, if a disaster on, on that kind of scale happens, right? You know, it's yeah. money, money then becomes obsolete. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, exactly. it's a whole different, yeah, whole different conversation. Yeah. 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 And that's, I mean, that's why I think, you know, those who are looking to get into it should reach out to you and, you know, maybe consider signing up for the course and getting educated, right? Is that, do you think, yeah. you know, as a, as a closing, you know, almost like a, like a parting thought. Do you think the biggest part of it is, is education and, you know, yeah, and, and, 
in education and fear, don't let it scare you. Don't let it, uh, don't let the fear keep you from doing it. Um, well, heck, I did it. I mean, I, I uh, uh, hang on just a second. My battery's about to run down. Well, uh, I did it and I wasn't particularly, I didn't go out and get educated real estate, except when I, you know, what I learned from building houses and from my early mentors and um, one of which was really good. And it was a guy back in the days when I was building houses and he was a, he was a uh, real estate investor and he was in his, in his 60s or 70s at the time and started off as a mortgage broker and he was now a commercial mortgage broker and he you know got commercial money for people and he made millions and he owned about a hundred properties around the state and he taught me a lot but you know that guy only had a fifth grade education and so somebody with a fifth grade education can be a commercial mortgage broker and an extremely successful real estate investor and make the kind of money that he made, then, you know, why should anyone fear being a real estate investor? You can do it, you know. And my education that I have has absolutely nothing to do with real estate. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You don't need a, you don't need a license. You don't need a diploma from anywhere. You don't need to even be all that smart. <laughs> you just have to be willing to go out and get started in it and do it. Yeah. So it's the real estate. Have to, have the, will, have to have the will to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. So it's the great equalizer and you know, it's, it's up to, it's up to each individual to, to go out there and actually put in the effort, right? There's no, yeah. there's no secret sauce. There's no yeah. shortcuts. If you put in the effort, then you can, you can reap the rewards. So. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Paul, for uh, the okay. conversation today. I mean, I learned a lot and I'm sure our listeners did as well. So, you know, as a, as a closing and, you know, so what, what are some other ways that people can reach out to you, either social media, email, or directly aside from just um, reinforcing your podcast? Uh, let's see, I guess you could find me on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Uh, that would be a good place. And the podcast also on, um, uh, uh, the uh, like I said, our membership's going to be starting here pretty soon, probably in the next couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be a community access. I think I put the oh. link on uh, the information I gave you. Uh, it's going to be at community.realestaterevenue.com. And that is a community platform. It looks a little bit like Facebook. It's not Facebook though. It's a private platform and you can go in there uh, for free. Uh, it's going to cost you an email address. That's, that's <laughs> about it. Right. So uh, you can sign up for that and it's not up yet. So by the, but by the time this episode gets out, by the time people can hear this episode, it will be up. So, mm -hmm. um, so I would start there and go there and you can contact me and speak to me directly through that. You know, it's a, it's like a, it's almost like a, uh, well, it's just like a Facebook group, 
you can post messages, post questions, questions, answers, opinions, uh, comments, whatever. And, uh, and then, you know, that's going to be part of the, the part of the actual membership, but it's, it's, that's the free portion of it where you can actually get in and look around. Yep. Awesome. So. Awesome. Awesome. Yep. We will leave all of that in the show notes below. Um, and okay. so you guys have a, have a way to, to get in touch with Paul and be a part of that community. I think I'm going to, I'm going to sign up as well, just to, just to check it out and, uh, learn, learn even more about the uh, commercial side, commercial side of real estate as well. But, um, you know, thank you again, Paul, for being a guest, spend some time with us on the show today. Thank and, you uh, for inviting me. It's been fun. Yeah. Enjoyed it. No problem. No yep. problem. Yep. I enjoyed it as well. And uh, for those of you looking to get in touch with Paul, definitely uh, take part in his community, sign up when it's up and take a listen to his podcast as well for more information. But other than that, guys, if you thought that this episode was helpful and you think that other people can benefit from this information as well, feel free to share it with a friend or family member or somebody that you know that you can think, you know, can benefit from it. Give it a like, share, subscribe, and uh, leave a review as well and uh, leave us your thoughts. But other than that, guys, thank you, Paul, again, for being on the show. And thank, thank you guys you. for tuning in. All right. Take care. We'll see you on the, on the next episode. All right, bye. Thank you for listening to the Free Life Agents Podcast. For more resources or to connect with us further, please visit our website, www.freelifeagents.com. We'll see you next time.